0: star when I'm at the street mommy doesn't say no don't stop on the the edge yes so so the edge means it's you're gonna step on the street yeah so my mom says no yeah every time he loves us Every time. So when we're bad, Jesus still loves us. How many how many trees are on the earth? This much. Um I don't care who you are, when you see a video like that, it melts your heart, right? (laughs) Kids are the best. Hey, one stat that Pastor Eric, our Hope Center and East County Campus pastor, didn't mention is is to date, we've served over 40,000 meals to that community, which is just incredible. So again, thank you guys so much. Hey, today we are in part three of our series called One Another. And if you couldn't tell by kind of the theme of the day, we are looking at this idea of parents. And children. We celebrated with baby dedication and that wonderful video. And man, just a a weekend, I think, for us as a church to really hone in on what it is to be a parent, what it is to be a child, and what the Bible has to say about that. And uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, so if you have your Bibles, you can pull them out to there. This whole year, we've really spent um, diving deep into the book of Ephesians. And last week, uh, we looked at uh, marriages, because really the the section of Scripture we're in really starts back in um, chapter 5, verse 21, and it's kind of like Paul giving us this description of what a Christian household should look like. And uh, Paul talked about it with um, parent, uh, with marriage, and he's talking about it with parents and children. And it's this idea, this theme that we've been chasing um, this entire series on this idea of mutual submission, the healthiness, the thriving relationships that happen because of this sense of mutual submission. But this morning, I want to start off with a story. And this story is about um, a baby, it's a baby boy, and uh, the date was uh, May 27th, 1975, and it was in Pomona, California, which is just a couple hours uh, north of here, it's about 45 minutes outside of Los Angeles, and uh, this baby boy was brought into the world that morning, And where there should have been joy and excitement and a mom and a dad, that baby came into a broken, harsh reality way too quick. See, the dad, the father, the birth father of that child, as soon as he found out um, that the mom was pregnant, he was like, I got nothing to do with that and left. And the mom had lived a hard life. In fact, Um, She was a heroin addict, and the baby was born uh, three months early because of no prenatal care. The baby was born with underdeveloped lungs. The baby was born with jaundice. It was uh, addicted to heroin, and for the first three months of that child's life, it had to live in an incubator. And the mom, so fearful because she already had one child um, that she was kind of estranged from and another one, and she was addicted to heroin, and there was talk in the hospital of like, what are we going to do with this woman and her child, that this woman was so afraid that she couldn't give a name for the birth certificate because the father wasn't there, the father wasn't present, and she wasn't really sure if that was the dad in the first place, she gave her ex-husband's name on the birth certificate. Now, she'd been on the run from this ex-husband for about a year and a half. She'd ran from Peoria, Illinois, back home to Bambona because this man was so unbelievably abusive. And in a moment of pure fear and not knowing what to do, she puts this man's name on the birth certificate. Now, when you look at this situation, you hear this story, you're like, That baby doesn't have a chance. Like, the reality that that kid is facing right off the bat is one that, man, I don't know if that kid ever has the ability to escape that because of the environment that he's going to be raised in. Now, there's something about that baby that I want you to know this morning, and that baby boy was me. That's my story. That's how I entered the world. And for the first year of my life, my mom was addicted to heroin and used and fixed the entire time um, I was that when I, in my first year. And uh, in the process, she got her little brother, my uncle Steve, addicted to heroin too. And about a year into the deal, something happened. Um, it was that my mom and, and my uncle were, were fixing heroin one night and my uncle OD'd. And was laying there, my mom describes this moment of my uncle just laying there, just kind of flailing, and she didn't know what to do, and the paramedics showed up, and they were able to revive him, and they were, he was able to recover and get back on his feet, and they made a decision at that point. They were like, this is it, we, we can't do this no more. See, they had OD'd before, both of them had, but this one was different because there was a baby boy in the picture, me. And so within the next week, both of them decided to check themselves into a recovery program. They got into a rehab program. And um, it was a program where my mom absolutely took it serious. She says, you know what, I really screwed up in the beginning parts of my life. And I have a child that I I need to make amends to and figure out how I'm going to uh, right that situation. But right now, I have a baby, and I have to take care of him. And she got her life straight, and she got sober. Now, my uncle, on the other hand, never really got it together. In fact, he lived his entire life battling with drug addiction and alcoholism and all kinds of other brokenness. But there was a man that was my uncle's, uh, he was his drug counselor. And this guy's name was Gordon. And uh, Gordon uh, was really attracted to my mom, Jessie. In fact, my, my uncle tells this story about this guy, Gordon, that every time they would meet, he would only ask questions about um, this lady, Jessie. Maybe that's why it didn't work for my I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. But, but they, they would go through their sessions, and at the end, uh, this guy, Gordon, would ask her, Hey, so what's up with your sister, and, you know, what's her situation? And I remember my uncle told me, he's like, Yeah, man, you don't really want to get into that situation right now. It's kind of messy. And I remember um, him telling me that this guy was like, no, I, I want to meet her. And finally, my uncle was getting ready to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. And he finally introduced this guy, Gordon, um, to my mom, Jesse. And at first, my, uh, my mom tells this story about this man, Gordon, that she's like, I didn't want anything to do with him because he reminded me too much of the guys that I ran with. He had long hair. He had a big beard. He was a biker. He had this big Harley. But there was something different. He was sober. He was clean. He had a job. He had a home. He had a future. And finally, um, my mom agreed to go on this date with this guy, Gordon. And so, it was a motorcycle run from Pomona to Pismo Beach. And my mom tells me this story. She's strapped on the back of this old school Harley. It's a hard tail Harley. So there's no suspension on the back of this bike. And my mom's in like this little jacket. She's got no gloves. She's got no beanie. And all the way up to Pismo Beach, it's raining. It's windy. And my mom describes it. This was the dumbest thing I've ever, I knew I should have stayed away from this guy. And so she says it was like day two of the trip. Longest date ever, and she's sitting on the curb, and she describes this moment. She goes, she goes my face felt like leather, and my, la- my lips were so chapped that they were like bleeding, and it was horrible. I just wanted to go home, and she says she was crying to this lady, and this guy Gordon comes up to her and offers her his chapstick. Because he hears this, that she's having this issue. And all the ladies in the room, I don't want ChapStick. I want to ride home because this is awful. (laughs) But my mom says it was in that moment that she knew this man was different. Because every moment in her life, every relationship that she'd ever had with a man, she'd only been treated like an object. This was the first time, and I know it's something so simple as a thing of chapstick, but it absolutely changed my mom's view. In fact, she said, that was the moment I knew I wanted to marry this man. And shortly after that, I think it was like six months, my mom said she married Gordon, and Gordon was the man that raised me. See, my birth father may have taken off, but I had a dad in that moment. And my mom says, you know, the reason that I fell in love with your dad is because he never treated you and I as an obligation. He treated us as an opportunity. See, he never saw you and I as an obligation, something that he felt like he had to take care of. No, he saw it as an opportunity. In fact, my mom tells me that my, my dad, Gordon, said, you know, I've had two failed marriages. I have two estranged children. But I see you and, and your son, I see this as an opportunity. I see this as an opportunity for both of us because we've lived a hard life, but there's redemption and there's a, a chance for me to be the father, to be the husband, to be the man that I know I can be. And what a, what a crazy beginning to a story, but such a beautiful life that they lived together. And I don't know what your family origin situations look like. You may not have had such a a very rough beginning as me. But I will say when it comes to our family relationships, this statement right, right here is true. That our family life, Our family life absolutely improves, not only improves, it's healthy, it can grow, it can thrive, because when us as kids, and every single one of us in the room are a son and a daughter, and for some of us in the room, we're parents, when we see our relationships not as obligations, but opportunities, we have a chance for our family to thrive and to be healthy. Now, it's not easy because there are things in life that happen. And do we fail at this sometimes? Absolutely. But when we focus on this and it becomes our driving factor, there's hope. There's a chance for us as a family to be healthy. Now, today, in chapter six of the book of Ephesians, Paul really gives us this kind of word on what family lives can look like. In fact, it's kind of framed around this whole question right here. This whole passage that we're going to look at is really framed around this idea of what is God's design for my family? Now, for some of you, you've never asked that question before. You're like, I, you know, I'm new to this whole thing. I really don't know what that means, but I know I want something like that. Or for some of you, that's exactly been your theme for your family the entire time, and you've seen the fruit from that. But what Paul gives us here, for all of us, is really a a, a word to really guide us in this direction. Now, I want to say two things before we get started. Um, The first one is this. If you're single, you can't check out because you're a son and a daughter, and Paul talks to kids in this passage as well. And some of you are going to be parents. And it's something that I think, not just as we look at this passage, we'll see that this doesn't just deal with our relationships as uh, mom and dads and sons and daughters. It deals in all areas of our lives. This is really a good lesson on what healthy, growing, thriving relationships could look like. And the second thing is this. We're gonna be talking about parenting and kids And I am by no means an expert on parenting. I'm not standing up here and thinking, I've got all the lessons figured out, and I'm going to tell you guys how to do this. Nope. I'll tell you this, when it comes to my parenting skills, the only reason I've learned to do the things I've done by doing the things I'm not supposed to do. I've learned the hard lessons in life. But one thing I'll take, and, I, and I'll hold tight, is every time I've taken one or two or three with me, I have three boys. Uh, we have three boys, two male dogs, because God looked down on our home and saw there was enough woman and said, I'll bless you with the men's ministry. Um, Laughter. Every time I've taken one, two, or three of those kids with me, I've always checked them back in. I've never lost one. So, 12 years, I'm doing strong. (laughs) So, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says this He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And he gives the promise here in verse 3. He says, So that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on earth. And this last verse right here, verse 4, he says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and in the instructions of the Lord. Right off the bat, Paul's talking this idea of obedience, and I think all of us can agree with this first point right here, is that learning obedience sets us up for success. Learning obedience, not just as, not just as children, but in all of our relationships, we learn this idea of obedience, it sets us up for success for the rest of our lives. Now, parents in the room, You like where I'm going, don't you? Right off the bat, you're like, children obey, learning obedience, tee up real quick. Let me get my kids. I'm going to bring them back here because they need to listen to this because I'm struggling with this and I'm glad you're finally talking about it. Let's boogie. (laughs) Obedience is something so much bigger than that. In fact, I think there's this confusion for us. We confuse this idea of obedience with compliance. And there is a giant gap between the two, between obedience and between compliance. See, obedience is this idea of submitting to another person's authority. We're submitting because we believe that we can trust them. We believe that they have our best interest in heart, so there's this obedience that follows. Where compliancy is just simply... Um, just kind of conceding to somebody's, like, direction or act. It's kind of one of those things we do like that, right? Obedience is something that is, takes more from us. It requires more from us. Or I say it like this. Obedience comes from the heart. See, if it comes from the heart, all of our actions will follow. Now, compliance doesn't always equal obedience. Obedience, there has to be this form of trust. There has to be um, this understanding that I will follow, I will obey because I know you will lead. You will not lead me into danger. I will follow you because I trust you. Where compliance is like, I know I just have to do this because I don't want to face the consequences of not doing it. Jesus warns of this in Mark chapter 7, verse 6. He says, these people make a big show of saying the right things. Oh, yes, I'll do whatever you want. Absolutely. A lot of lip service. But then he says this, their heart isn't in it. And I don't think there's a better definition, scriptural definition of compliance than that verse right there. A lot of big talk, a lot of lip service. But I don't really care for you, and I'm just gonna do it because I don't want to face the consequences of not doing it. Now, Paul in verse 2 begins to, begins to give us this idea, a definition of what obedience is. He says, honor your father and mother. See, compliance doesn't necessarily mean honor, but obedience does. Obedience is a form, is driving us to this sense of, of honor. And, and notice what it doesn't say here, though. Paul doesn't say, um, honor your father and mother when they deserve it. Paul doesn't say, honor your mother and father when you like them. That's tough, right? Because you're like, honor my mother and father. You don't know my relationship with my mother and father. You don't know the stuff that's happened in my life. And I'll say, you know what, this past week as I was preparing this message, I couldn't help but think about my birth father. And I thought of this idea of like honoring my birth father. I was like, I don't know if I could do that, you know, honestly. So I I can kind of identify with you a little bit. In fact, I remember um, the first time I met my birth father. And it was at a cemetery in Pomona, California, in fact. Um, It was the family cemetery. All of my dad's family is buried there, like his mom, his dad, his aunts, his uncle. On my side, my mom's side of the family. My brothers buried there. Uh, my grandmother's buried there. My uncles buried there. My my other grandparents are buried there. In fact, the guy that I was named after is buried um, two plots over from where my dad now is buried. My 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 dad Gordon is buried. So. There is a lot of emotional ties to this cemetery. And I remember my mom told me that this man had died. He died of bone cancer and that let's go to the cemetery. She goes, I don't even know if it's last respects. Let's let's just go. And so I was nine years old and hearing this information for the first time and not really comprehending a whole lot of what it meant. But I went. So I remember we we drove down to the cemetery. And uh, we had to go to the cemetery office to find out Where the grave was because we we didn't know where it was. And we got this number and we got this location. And I remember that day, it was kind of foreboding. There was like dark clouds, um, there was rain, it was kind of windy, it was cold kind of very symbolic to the moment now that I think about it. But anyways, we drive around this cemetery, and we go and see, you know, my grandma and my uncle were in there at that time, um, and then we drive past my dad Gordon's family, and then we finally get to this area of the cemetery, and it's an area that is the destitute area. It's where L.A. County buries um, the, 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 that die in, in custody of, of the county, there's this area of cemetery where there was no next of kin, there was nobody that really cared about them, and they bury the bodies in this area. And all there are are these little um, gray markers that just have a number on the top of them. I remember we walked up and we finally found that number. And my mom and I were just standing there. And I was nine and I, was kind, I knew what was going on, but I didn't necessarily understand it. But it was raining, and it was cold, and I had this black sweatshirt on, and I, I had it over my head, and I didn't know really what was going on. I wasn't sad, but I wasn't mad. I was just kind of, what is going on? And I remember my mom, she didn't have a jacket on. She, didn't have just, she just had a T-shirt and some jeans, and I remember she was weeping, and she just stood there, and we were quiet. We didn't say anything to each other for like three or four minutes. And she looks over at me, and she goes, are you done? And I said, I think I was before I got here. And we got in the car, and we're really quiet. And, you know, we have never really talked about that moment um, for the rest of our lives. Like, I think that was kind of where it was done. And I remember that little gray cement round circle that marked his grave. and, And as I got a little bit older, I thought about that. And I thought, you know what? That's so symbolic because it was about this much influence that that man had in my life. What I did realize, though, when I got in the car that morning, is that may have been my birth father, but I had a dad. A dad that cared about me. A dad that didn't see me as an obligation. He saw me as his own son. I had a dad that taught me honor. What it looked like for him, for, for him to honor us, for him to honor people in his life. And he set me up with this idea of truly understanding what honor looked like. And this statement right here, this idea of honoring my parents, positions me to be blessed in the future. Now this isn't some, let, let me explain this. This isn't some like, oh, if you do this, you're going to be so rewarded because of your parents. No, there's a lesson here. Because in our life, if we learn it at a young age and it's modeled in a way that is healthy, we'll take that with us throughout our entire life. And because of learning that, we're able to show honor, not just to parents, but to other people in our life, the people that lead us, the people that have influence in our life. Because we learned it, because it was modeled to us and because we were living it out, it now has such a great impact in our entire life, and we do get the blessings of it. It's like Paul says in verse 2, he says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And in verse 3, he gives us this promise. He says, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on earth. Parents, that's like, I'm going to ground that into you. You don't honor me? You guys are screwed. No, that's not what it says. (laughs) What Paul is doing here, really, yes, he's giving us a promise, but also... He's giving us like a long, lifelong view. He's really, as parents, he's giving us this challenge um, with our kids, a lifelong challenge with our kids because we want them to honor us, and it's not just when they're, in ch- when they're children, but it's throughout their entire life as well. There is a promise, but there's also a challenge for us, that this idea that they may go well and that you may enjoy a long life on earth. There is this long-term view of what honor looks like. But sometimes this idea of honor, obedience, I just want compliance, to tell you the truth. I just want that kid to mind. I just want that kid to clean their room. And I'll tell you one thing, I'm tired of that kid running into the street because he just needs to stop it. When I say, hey, they need to snap and they need to get there right now. I don't care about obedience. I don't care about this heart thing. They just need to know in their mind that when I speak, they need to come here right now. And man, I'm guilty of that. But what Paul's talking about here with this the idea of honor and obedience, it's as parents that we need to take this challenge on and not just view our children as kind of like people, little things, little robots to command, but whole people to care for. We have to take in consideration of the whole child, because they're not just little things that we get to tell to do things. No, they're whole people. They have their own mind. They have their own thoughts. They have their own hearts. They have their own wishes. They are a whole person. They're this small, and, and they're forming those things at that age. And as a parent, that's a giant responsibility because we're teaching them things like obedience. We're teaching those things like honor. But in a lot of situations... We don't necessarily, and I'll I'll admit, I'm the first one to admit, maybe I'm the only one in the room, that a lot of times I don't take that into consideration because I just want them to do what I want them to do in the very moment I'm telling them to do the things. But that's not obedience because obedience is from the heart. Compliancy is in the moment. See, obedience as parents, as we're teaching obedience to our children, it gives us an opportunity. It gives us an opportunity to, to guide and correct. It gives us an opportunity to encourage our children all their life. And if we look at the world that we live in today, let's be honest. Our kids need a whole lot more encouragement than we ever did. There are so many, different, we all faced our own junk growing up, but I look at the things that our kids are being faced with through social media, through Everything that's coming out their ways, and there's so many things of criticism and telling them they're not good enough that our kids need encouragement. In fact, it's from God that we hear this encouragement because as parents, God is the one that really directs us to encourage our kids to be just like us. No. to be the person that God has called them to be. Not little versions of me, not little mini-me's, not, but the person that God had designed them to be. And sometimes that's tough because we have expectations on our kids, right? I want them to be this, I want them to be that. Don't be this, be that. Be here, don't be there. Go to this school, marry that girl, get this job. But is that us trying to design them in the person that we want them to be? Are we connected to God and really listening into who he wants us to guide them and encourage them to be because God designed them that way? And dads, hold on real tight. I want to talk to you real quick. In fact, in fact Paul talks to you in this verse right here. He says this in verse 4. He says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Exasperate's not a word we necessarily use nowadays, right? I don't say, man, that person really exasperated me yesterday. (laughs) No, what Paul's saying here, he's like, dads, don't provoke, don't poke, don't drive your kids crazy, don't drive them to anger. And here, I'll be the first one, dad. I love messing with my kids sometimes. I'll be honest with you. In fact, I've kind of made it an art form, and I kind of consider myself the Picasso of messing with my kids couple things I absolutely love to do. We are a Nerf gun family. I've got all boys, like I said. And man, I will hide behind a door, and I'll wait for them. And I will light those kids up. Show them who's boss. Like, they'll always come after me, and I'll just pop around a corner. And they're like, Dad, what are you doing? Come on, that's not fair. But one of my greatest, most beautiful pieces of artwork was one day, my oldest son, Cash, who's in the booth right now, and he hates this story, but I asked him, no, I didn't ask him, I just told him I was going to tell it. I was hiding in the shower, shower curtain closed, and he was coming up to use the bathroom, and I heard him lift up that seat and get ready to go, and I went, Thoosh! and he went, wow! He jumped around and I heard my wife. I heard my wife from the kitchen because I think I provoked her a little bit more than I did my son. She's like, Listen, you three jokers already are aim dislike. You have issues with aim. Are you going to clean this bathroom or am I? Look at what Paul says here in Colossians, though. <laughs> Paul says this, and this is so good, uh, I think even a further definition of this idea of not provoking our children. Paul says it like this. He says, fathers, don't embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. He says, don't steer them to anger so they become disheartened. And dads, this is a big one for us. We do it with sports leagues, right? Like, we want our kids to be active in sports, and then we drive them to be like the next, like... Mike Trout or like the next like, like Peyton Manning and we're like, you're not good enough, you're not doing this good enough, your grades stink, you're not this, you're not that. And we're constantly raising these bars of expectations and not telling them anything about it. So these expectations become realistic and it drives them crazy. And the word, the, the, the Greek word for discouraged here is this word thumos, which means an outburst of passion and wrath. And this isn't necessarily a vengeful outburst of passion and wrath. It's a hurtful outburst of passion and wrath. Because think about it when we're pushing that kid and we're pushing them and we're pushing them and pushing them, and finally they break and they yell at us, it's not out of vengeance, it's out of complete destruction and hurt because we drove them to a point that they became disheartened. I think there's a ton of ways we can frustrate our kids. I'll tell you, I frustrate them all the time. You can go talk to him right now. He'll tell you. Some of the things we do, parents, is we ask our children, and I don't know anybody that's not guilty of this. If you're not, please talk to me afterwards because sometimes I stink at this. Ask your children to do as we say, not as we do. This is tough because it's like one of those convicting moments. You're like, Yeah, I may have been speeding and had you looking out for cops on the on-ramp so that I could get away from them, but don't do that when you're older. Drive the speed limit, right? The other one is being a friend instead of a parent, looking to be like the BFF, right, the best friend of our kids, That's not necessarily the most healthiest thing because it causes this insecurity with our kids. Because one day we're their best friend, the next moment we're their parent. Now the same situation that we were their best friend for yesterday, we're hammering them as their parent today. It doesn't set our kids up for success. Um, This idea of being inconsistent with our expectations. This is another one of like letting them get away. with. I call this one the lazy parent syndrome. Like, you let your kids play video game Fortnite for, like, way too many hours the day before, and then you get frustrated at night because you feel like a bad parent. That's me, maybe. Uh, And then the next day, they go to play it all day, and you're like, you're not playing this. You're going outside all day and, like, hugging trees and, like, rolling in dirt because you need to be a person that's, like, in touch with nature. And my kids are like, Dad, what happened yesterday? You were, like, totally cool with it, but today you're not. And we do that with so many different areas. Or this idea of overly harsh with our discipline. My parents love them, but man, they were hard. Like they knew the past that like they had faced and uh, they'd saw my, my, my brother, my mom's son, and the stuff that he had did. And they did whatever they could to protect me from this. It was like I was on restriction from like sixth grade to I think 18, because I never really got the post-high school thing. I don't know, until I joined the military. I can't remember where well. If I like sneezed or breathed wrong, I was locked up. Like, and my parents, I'm a child of the 80s, so there was this saying, maybe you guys remember, tough love. I'll tell you right now, if I ever meet the person that came up with that dumb idea, I've got some tough words for them. It was like my parents would take the door off the hinge or posters off the wall or the bed frame. And I was like, I don't even know what I did. They're like, shut up and get in your room right now. But man, there are so many different ways we do that. And this last one here, expecting them to behave in a way they aren't capable of developmentally. Why don't you just grow up and act your age? Dad, I'm nine. And we laugh, but it's true, right? Here's the bottom line with this. What we model matters. What we model matters because it's what they'll repeat. When they become parents, when they become leaders, when they become whatever, the way that we led them, the way that we disciplined them, the way that we guided and corrected them will be the exact same behaviors they repeat. And it's hard, right, parents? You're like, man, I've really screwed this one up. Look at this verse, though. Paul says this at the end of verse 4. He says, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. When I think of how I apply this verse in my life, it's when I am kind to my kids in those times that I screw up that we can get forgiveness together. It's in those times that I model my kindness to them, even though they beyond don't deserve it. They probably need to be locked up in their room for a couple of years for what they did yesterday. But if I'm overly harsh, they'll run. If I'm kind and encouraging, they'll come to me. Paul says it so well. He's like, it's God's kindness. And for you and I, It's our opportunity to our kids to really live this out as we become parents. Because, man, sometimes just being a parent, it's not easy. We screw up. Things happen. I know, and some of you might even be in the crowd tonight, and you're like, man, I don't know how to do any of this. Like, I'm stuck because up until this point, everything you said that I'm not supposed to do are the things that I absolutely do. In fact, I did like four of them this morning. I'm the same way. And today, as I thought about that over this past week, I want to give you this resource. Um, It's from Right Now Media, which last week we gave you a resource for for marriage. This week we want to give you a resource for parenting. And it's this um, study, it's a 14-day study, it's a two-minute devotional each day, and it's from this guy, Paul Tripp. And my wife and I, the very first parenting conference that we ever went to was by this guy, and it changed our lives on the way we parent. It went from like this idea of quick fixes to viewing our opportunities as parents to raise our kids in a gospel-centered mindset, which was like transformative for us. He sets up this study like this. He says, um, he says, what is your calling as a parent? In the midst of folding laundry and coordinating carpool schedules and breaking up fights, let's be honest, we can get lost. In feeling the pressure to do everything right and raise up good children, it's easy to lose sight of the ultimate purpose as parents in the quest for practical tips and guaranteed formulas. This study offers us so much more as parents. Take a picture of that or just head out to the blue tent after service and we can get you all the information out there. If you don't have a Right Now Media account, we can get your email address and send uh, an invite to you. In fact, Right Now Media is a gift from us to you as free. And it's like the Netflix of Bible studies. It's an amazing gift. And if you don't have it, you didn't receive uh, an invitation, head out there to the booth. It has so many more resources that are absolutely amazing. And we want to be able to give you today an opportunity and some ways to learn how to raise up our children. In fact, here it is. We're not just called as parents to, to raise boys and girls. We're called to raise men and women. And wait, I would set the bar even a little bit higher for those of us that call ourselves Christ followers. We're called to raise godly men and women in a world that is absolutely not looking for that at all. There is a minority of us, and I said a couple weeks ago, we live in a city where 94% of the people don't give a rip about church. There's only 6% of us in all of San Diego County that actually go to church. So this idea of raising up godly men and women, man, that's a foreign concept. But you're not alone. You have a church body that is absolutely passionate about coming alongside each other. It's why we do baby dedications the way we do. Because Paul challenges us. He says, says, bring them up, our children, in the training and instruction of the Lord. What was the verse before this? He said, don't provoke your children to anger. He says, instead, And anger could be those unrealistic expectations. He says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. But it's hard because there's all kinds of distractors. We just want quick fixes sometimes. We just want compliance. But we're called to so much more than that. I love in Proverbs this. And it's kind of like the recipe of like how to raise godly children it says, start children off in the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. This sounds phenomenal, right? But it's not always true. Because you could have been the most godly parents in the entire world, and your kids at age 18 decided to run their life into a ditch. Or you could have looked at the family next door to you, and they could have been the most absent parent. It was a, like a hot volcano mess next door to you, but those kids turned out to be the most amazing, like just phenomenal kids in the entire world. It doesn't say who you are as a parent. It says start. Start. Because this verse isn't promises 22.6, it's Proverbs 22.6. And Proverbs is a word of wisdom. And that's exactly what this verse is to us as parents, as people, is to start. You're like, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do start today. As we close, I wanted to throw a couple questions up on the board. And in fact, as we close today, we're going to have the opportunity to take communion together. Because I think as people, we need to take communion. Especially, this is a hard one. And we need God's strength. And we need to be washed clean of some of the things that we've fallen short as as kids and, and parents. And speaking to parents... This week, as you think about this whole message, and you think about your kids, and you think about where you're at, what can you do to start not just obeying or commanding, but actually discipling and developing, encouraging, coming alongside? That's a good one. Because I don't know about you, sometimes I don't think about that. I don't. Discipling, developing, you know what that is? That's Treating our child as a whole child, their own mind, their own thoughts, their own hearts, their own acts, their own decisions. Kids, you see that person right there? Do you know who she is? I have an exciting announcement this morning, parents. That lady right there, her name is Sarah Patrick, and she's our new family pastor. Parents, we are so absolutely passionate about kids that we when 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 evie our our kids director that all of us known and loved when she departed which was a big loss for us as a church man we miss evie so much but she's doing well we knew that it wasn't just a kids director we needed we needed a family pastor. So we sought after Sarah. Sarah's phenomenal. She's getting her master's degree from Fuller Seminary in youth and family culture. It's her passion. It's what she does. It's who she is. And she's going to come alongside each of us as parents with our families to give us those abilities, those tools, those resources. And, man, I'm so excited. She starts the weekend of November 1st. Get to know her. She's phenomenal. She's phenomenal. Last challenge right here. Kids, what can you do, whatever your age, all of us for sons and daughters, to begin to honor your parents? That's a tough one because some of us have situations where, like, the best honor that I can do to my parents is set some titanium boundaries. And that might be it. Like, seriously. Like, you may laugh, but that, that is it right there. Because there might be some crazy that we're involved in and we just need to pull ourselves out of it. And for some of us, we may have taken advantage of our, our parents. And now it's time to step back and begin to honor them. And for all of us in the room, when we think of these things as parents and kids and all these ideas that we talked about, there can be a sense of failure or, or guilt or shame because we haven't lived up to what this passage or these verses said today. But ro- what did Paul say in Romans 2 for? It's his kindness that leads to repentance guess what god knew we were going to screw up it's why he provides his forgiveness and his grace and it's available at any time but it requires something from us it requires us to actually admit that we've done wrong to receive his grace a couple nights um I think it was a couple weeks before my dad actually died. Um, he pulled me into his office, and he said, um, and, and my dad was a, a big man. He was like 6'4", 320 pounds, and he had this home office, and He called me into his office, and now my dad, one thing to know about him, whenever he got home, he didn't like wearing a shirt, so a 320-pound man in his office calling you in there, well, threw you off a little bit, and my dad was a giant fan of Old Spice, so it like, just smelled like Old Spice. And My dad had this big, giant, roll-top wooden desk, and he was probably the most disorganized man in the history of the world, and there was like papers everywhere, and he's in this giant chair, and it kind of squeaks around, and I walk in the office, and this big man is crying. And I looked at him, I said, Dad, what's up? He says, can I tell you something? I was like, yeah, well, what, what is it? And he goes, I just want to tell you I'm sorry. I said, you're sorry? What, what are you sorry for? And he goes, man, I've screwed up throughout the years. You know, I just want to say I'm sorry if any of the words that I've ever said have caused you harm. He said, I'm sorry if any of the things I've ever done have hurt you. And he said, "But the thing I'm most sorry about is the very fact that I tried to like hold you too tight to try to protect you from something, so that you couldn't turn into this man that God is creating you to be today." I was ruined at that point. I remember just looking at him. I said, "God," I said, "What do you?" What? And he goes, "No." And he says, "He says just just promise me that." And the last thing my dad ever said to me was the night before he died, and he was tired, and he was. Just, we knew something was wrong. Um, he sat in his chair, and he says, "He says, DB, and that was what he called me." He said, "DB, make me a promise." And I said, "What's that, Dad?" And he says, "Do your best, all you can do, to be a better man to your family than I ever was." And I was like, "Whoa." Because my dad was an amazing man. He was a provider. He was a protector. He took me on as a one year old kid with a drug addict mom and said, No, I want to protect and provide and raise you. And in that moment, he said, Promise me, you will do better than I ever did. And today I stand here, and yeah, I've screwed it up, but every single day of my life, I chase after that challenge. And I think as parents, that's our challenge teach our kids to be better than we ever were. Honor your parents by striving to provide a better life for your kids than you could ever imagine. Let's pray.